Oramai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. The Grammy Awards probably isn't an event you'd expect me to have a reason to talk about on this programme, but actually today I have. Worship songwriters and musicians Keith and Kristin Getty have earned their first Grammy nomination for their latest album, Confessio. The Gettys are probably best known for the hymn In Christ Alone, which is popular in many Christian churches and has featured on this programme too. Well, Keith and Kristin Getty have been nominated in the category Best Roots Gospel Album, and this is one of the tracks. Keith and Kristin Getty and Pass the Promise. I will pray rejoicing from my heart. Pray rejoicing from my heart. For in him my victory's lifted high. His salvation is my cry. He has overcome my enemy. I praise his scorn, the enemy. I delight in his deliverance. The Lord is our deliverance. Pass the promise to our sons and daughters. God most high, God our Father, we bear witness. There is no one holy like the Lord.
Keith and Kristin Getty and Pass the Promise from their Grammy-nominated album Confessio. Speaking about their album, the Gettys said, We made this album when we were home with our daughters in Northern Ireland during Covid. It was our love letter to the land of our birth, the place that gave the origins and the meaning to why we write hymns. They go on to say, We're honoured by this, our first Grammy nomination, and we hope the project shines a greater light on the importance of hymn singing and the irresistible beauty of the Lord Jesus. The 2023 Grammys will take place in Los Angeles later tonight. I'll play you some more music from the album a little later in the programme. But now it's time to meet my special guest, a quite exceptional man, full of wisdom, experience, humility and a real sense of joy in life. It's often said that you can't be a scientist and believe in God. It has to be one or the other. But here sitting with me now is someone who would seriously disagree. Reverend Professor David Wilkinson is ordained in the Methodist Church. He's also a theologian and an astrophysicist. He's the current principal of St John's College, Durham, and a professor in the Department of Theology and Religion at Durham University. He's the author of several books on the relationship between science and religion, and he's also a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society. He's married to Alison, who is also a Methodist minister, and they have a son and a daughter. I began by asking David what had come first for him, an interest in science or an interest in God. Well, thank you, Judith. It was, for me, something about encountering Jesus, and that sounds very holy, but in fact it was. I was a teenager who rejected God, didn't really think God was relevant in any way. And then I fell in love desperately with a girl in the local Christian youth group. And so started to go along to that church in order to go out with her, never got to go out with her. But I found amongst these Christians something different. This shows my age. I was really into the music of Bob Dylan. And Dylan went through his Christian phase. And I suddenly heard Jesus being sung about in a language that made sense to me. And then I read the New Testament for myself. I'd never done that before. And I came to the conclusion there was no other way to explain who Jesus was apart from this was God walking the pages of history. Now, I'd been interested in science at this point, but I wouldn't say I was a science nerd. I was 17 at the time. I had not built a telescope at the age of four or anything like that. And I, I decided to do physics at university partly because I thought it was interesting, but partly because, if you don't tell anyone, I was really into cricket and I knew that if I did a subject like physics, I didn't have to do essays. I could do things quite quickly and I have more time to play cricket. I found myself at Durham University, uh, having just made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ at the age of 17, uh, with this new found physics degree, which I was supposed to do, and found that actually the two began to grow together. As I studied more of the universe, I saw a bit more of the hand of the God that I was worshipping in Jesus. And as I thought more about who Jesus was, then the relevance of Jesus became more and more important. In a sense, very early in my Christian life, I realized that if I said Jesus is Lord, that had to not just apply to what I did on a Sunday, that had to apply to what I was doing in the lab during the week. What does it mean to show Jesus as Lord in working life? And actually the wonderful thing was that as my science and faith grew together, and it's still true today. I have lots of questions which I don't understand. 
But those questions about how science questions faith and how faith questions science have always encouraged me in my excitement both for science and for faith, even if I don't have perfect answers to every question. Interestingly, there are a number of great people who have said that science and religion are not in competition, which was kind of a tension that was held some years ago. But you've actually gone a stage further and you say not only are they not in opposition to each other, but they actually need each other. Absolutely. And actually, the history bears that out because this conflict between science and faith is only about 100 years old. Uh, it goes back to the 19th century and some of the controversies that followed the work of Charles Darwin, where not just scientists, but also Christians who felt threatened by science, bought into that you've either got to be a scientist or a Christian, that there's somehow a conflict. And often they rewrote the history of Galileo and even Darwin himself in this conflict model. Actually, if you look back at the origins of science in the scientific revolution, what you find is that many Christians were at the forefront of the scientific revolution. And that's because their theology, their faith, encouraged them to be scientists. Galileo, committed Christian, he wanted to use a telescope because he felt that you couldn't work out what God had done in the universe by logic. You actually had to look at the universe, observe it. This was the beginnings of empirical science, observational science, which we do today. Because God was a God of order, you should actually believe that there should be patterns or laws in the universe. And because God was the universal God of the whole universe, so these laws should be universal. And because we were made in the image of God, we should be able to at least glimpse a little bit about what these laws are. Now, there were lots of influences on science, but the Judeo-Christian worldview, that which is believed by both Jewish and Christian theologians, was influential in the growth of modern science. And if you catapult into today, which is my area is theoretical astrophysics, which is very easy, Judith. I mean, it's it's basically just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. That's what astrophysics is. Now, I, I mix with a number of folk who uh, are scientists and who are Christians. I meet with a, a large number of people who wouldn't call themselves people of faith at all, but are fascinated by what modern science is saying. You know, why can we understand the laws of how the universe began? Albert Einstein once said the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. Why should that be? And why do these particular laws of physics work together in such a way that makes possible carbon-based life that can think about carbon-based life and the origin of the universe? And what happens when we look at the beauty of the universe, either in the beauty of the night sky or in the laws themselves? Where does our sense of awe come from? Now, these are not proofs of the existence of God. Far from it. But for many people, they are an openness to saying, is there a deeper story to the universe here? It's worth a conversation. And many of the scientists that I talk to at, at the highest level are people who are open to that conversation. They're not coming from a particular faith tradition or community, uh, but they're fascinated by some of these big questions. And so from history and right up to today, there's that openness which the media sometimes represents that you either have to be a scientist and a Christian. That's not the case. Come thou almighty king. 
sing. Help us to praise. Father all glorious, or all victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days. Come, thou incarnate Word, gird on thy mighty sword. Our prayer attend. Come and thy people bless and give thy word success. Almighty King. More music from the Grammy nominated album Confessio by Keith and Kristin Getty. And on that track, they're joined by their daughters, the Getty Girls. My special guest this morning is both a Methodist minister and a scientist, and as such, Reverend Professor David Wilkinson does not believe that there is any conflict between science and religion. To take this a little further, he asks us to consider the question. What is a kiss? A kiss for a scientist is very simple. It's the approach of two pairs of lips, the reciprocal transmission of carbon dioxide and microbes, and the juxtaposition of two orbicular muscles in a state of contraction. That's a kiss scientifically. But if I go to my wife and say to Alison, let's get together for a mutual transmission of carbon dioxide and microbes. Let me juxtapose my orbicular muscle in a state of contraction with yours. She would obviously say, get lost. You see, in that context with my wife, one describes a kiss in terms of meaning, value, purpose, love. What's the true definition of a kiss? Is it the one about carbon dioxide or is it the one about meaning and value? Both are true, but different. And therefore, it's not a matter of one or the other. Actually, both are informative in helping to understand the nature of the world. And so when it comes to the early universe, I'm very happy for Professor Hawking and others to be able to say, yes, we can understand how the universe emerged in a quantum fluctuation through a period of inflation into Big Bang universe. But at the same time, there are why questions. What's the purpose or value of the universe? They're different types of questions, but both are important. 
Now, you could have pursued a scientific career and you could have kept your deep and committed personal faith. So what brought you to a moment of ordination? I think it was just a sense of what God wants me to do. Now, again, that sounds quite pious and holy. And it wasn't one of those things where I was walking down a street in Newcastle and suddenly it was a blinding light or anything of that sort. It was a sense that God had uh, given me certain gifts. I enjoyed science immensely, uh, but I also enjoyed uh, leadership in the church. I'd had conversations with various people around me who'd said, maybe God's calling you. And as I read my Bible and said my prayers, there was just a sense that this was what God wanted me to do. Now, I have to stress, this was not about me rejecting science. This was not about me getting bored or disillusioned with science. This was just a sense that my vocation in life was more to leading a church than to being a scientist. And the wonderful thing is always that when you give something up for God, it seems to me, you get it paid back many times. And what I didn't expect was that as I left professional science and went back to study and do theology and offer myself as a church leader to the Methodist Church, I've been given back the gift of science in lots of different ways. In terms of local church ministry, because, you know, as a local church leader, many people would ask me questions. I remember being at our church luncheon club. I would go around the tables, talk to the elderly people who were there. One uh, lady in her 80s who left school in Liverpool at the age of 14, as I sat down and said, have you had a nice day? She said, yes. She said, now what does this Stephen Hawking chap say about the origin of the universe? Now, these are big questions which people are interested in. And these days I get the chance within university to work and talk with some of the scientists that I used to be part of in the physics department, really to see how science and theology can enrich each other in an open and humble way. So I still feel that I'm a, at heart a church leader. That's what God's called me to do. And I'm on a little bit of a trip in the wilderness in terms of higher education for a few years. When I, I'll come back eventually to perhaps to lead a church. But at the moment, it's a wonderful opportunity. And there's that sense that God values the scientific background that I have. And, and perhaps churches need to be better at valuing the scientific background of those within congregations those who live their lives as Christians and professional scientists. That's a vocation as well. And I wonder if possibly that is a good opener for us to talk about the future for you, because yes. you did signal last year you intend to stand down at the end of this academic yes. year from your leadership as principal of St John's College in Durham. Right. Now, what are you going to do in the future? Well, I've been principal of a Durham College for the last 16 years, which is a long time for me and it's certainly a long time for the college. Uh, so it felt right to move on. And I'm moving on to take over full time a project that we've been doing for the past seven years. And this is a project called Equipping Christian Leadership in an Age of Science. About seven years ago, a friend of mine who's a professional scientist and I bemoaned the fact that when senior church leaders, bishops and others equivalent, when they were asked about science, either in school assemblies or in a radio studio, many of them, their initial thought would be being fearful of science, negative about it, or silent about science. 
And we felt that had a ripple down effect because that meant that church leaders or youth workers who had a background in science, if science wasn't being affirmed by their senior church leader, then, you know, is that important to them? And then what about the folk in the pews in the church who live as science teachers or engineers? They felt a little subverted by this leadership. And then that links into this conflict thing that we've talked about in wider culture. And so we started a project where we tried to help senior church leaders to encounter not just science, but scientists, world-leading scientists, who would talk about whether they were religious or not, what science was about for them, their passions, their excitements, their fears about science. And so uh, we've done that for seven years and we've got funding for another five years and we're going to be working not just in the UK but with a number of international partners. And really I, I've got to a stage where I can't do the work of a principal and this project. And so it's a project which is based in York and London with the Church of England but also with many other churches. And we've got a sense of how do we provide a culture within the church which looks to science with humility, with joy, with fun, but also with some confidence to say, actually, Christian theology can contribute to this? It sounds like an incredibly exciting project and a project now for this moment, because that's what church should be evolving to meet the needs of its particular time. You said early in this conversation that there were things that you don't understand. Do you think it's good that we don't have all the answers, that there are still things that we can acknowledge mystery? Absolutely, Judith. I, I think I'd want to go just a little bit further and say that we can acknowledge mystery, but we need to be committed to the questions. One of the things that marks out the great scientists is not about getting the answers, it's asking the right questions. And science actually proceeds by asking the right questions in a spirit of curiosity, sometimes of frustration, sometimes of joy. And so at the heart of growing as a scientist, the heart of doing science, is the ability to ask questions. Sometimes to say, we don't know everything, but we're going to keep asking questions about it. Now for me, uh, faith's a bit like that. Uh, one of my favorite disciples of the New Testament is Thomas. Because Thomas is the guy who asks the questions that every other disciple is too embarrassed to ask. You know, so when Jesus says about his death, and you know the way where I am going, and all of the other disciples kind of look at the ground and think, what does he mean by that? Thomas is the one who says, Lord, we don't know what you mean by that you know the way where we're going. And it's only because Thomas asks that question that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas hadn't asked the question, we have never got the famous phrase. And Thomas is not the doubter, he's the questioner of the New Testament. He's the one who's prepared to say that faith allows me to ask questions rather than trying to construct a system where I feel secure in myself. Because we know that the, at, at the heart of any relationship is the joy of finding out about the other person asking questions. I mean, not just telling your own story all of the time. It's actually about finding out from others. And God, I think, has given us this gift as human beings of relationship with him and the curiosity 
So for me, a, a scientist is uh, given a gift by God. Donald Mackay, the former professor of neuroscience at Keele University, used to say, Christians believe that we are like children in a garden where a parent has said, go and explore. Now, there may be one or two stinging nettles here and there, but there's also lots of things to explore and understand. And rather than meddling in the realm of the gods, which was a Greek idea, Christians believe that God says, go and ask questions. And ask questions about science and ask questions about faith. That doesn't mean that there's a lack of commitment or a lack of trust. Actually, you often ask questions because you've already got a, a level of trust. And so for me, it's been asking questions both as a scientist and as a Christian that actually has deepened my faith, taken my faith forward, and actually enriched my relationship with God. Science is a beautiful activity. I mean, it has its moments where, you know, the, the clouds come in and you can't see the stars. And that's true of life as well, when the clouds come in and you can't see the stars. But there are moments which John Hapgood, John Hapgood was the former Archbishop of York and a, uh, a research chemist himself. And John Hapgood talked about these moments as, war, look at that moments, where you just go, wow, gosh. And that's a joy, I think, not just of science, but also faith. Again, and more music from their Grammy-nominated album, Confessio. 
My thanks to my special guest today, Reverend Professor David Wilkinson, and we wish him every success as he leaves St John's College to concentrate on his project, Equipping Christian Leadership in an Age of Science something I hope that we might be able to look at again in a later programme in conversation with some of our own local scientists. And now it's time to take a look at our notice board. Tomorrow, Monday the 6th, it's Super Monday in the lounge at Colby Methodist Church. Homemade soup and fresh bread are served from noon till half past one, then the lounge stays open until four o'clock as a warm space, with tea, coffee and biscuits available throughout the afternoon. There's no charge, but donations to help with the costs would be appreciated. And tomorrow evening, Russian Silver Band will give a concert in St Columbus, the Catholic Church in Port Erin. It starts at 8 o'clock and there'll be refreshments afterwards. And whilst admission is free, donations to the Russian Endowments Committee would be much appreciated. On Friday the 10th at Mount Tabor, Port St Mary Methodist Church, there's a soup lunch between noon and half past one. Then at three o'clock, you're invited to a craftanoon. Bring along your own crafts to work on or come along and learn something new. That's all this Friday in Port St Mary Methodist Church. And we finish with a look to next Sunday the 12th, when there'll be a Taze service in Balagheri Methodist Chapel. Gareth Moore will lead the music for this contemplative candlelit service with Taze chants, times of silence and prayers. The Taze service in Balagheri is next Sunday evening at half past six and there's a warm welcome for everyone. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back tonight at nine o'clock for sundown and I'd love you to join me if you can. It's easy listening music to round off your weekend. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. My address is judithlay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. Mm-hmm.